Hey guys, welcome back to the BMS podcast with Mark Sankey, Rich Fish, and myself, Clayton Ferry. In today's podcast, we will be discussing IoT versus dedicated in-house networks part two. So to get started, I just want to recap the previous episode and some key points of discussion, and there's only a, a handful. One of them is IoT devices are everywhere and they can be utilized well in a facility for BMS, and we discussed that on a range of different types of sensors and controllers. There are some pretty large installation benefits due to less wiring requirements with IoT. Again, as we discussed, IoT can communicate wirelessly via Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and a handful of different other mediums. Devices can be battery powered. So these battery powered devices such as temperature sensors or occupancy sensors can last up to seven years, seven to 10 years. And with IoT, you can add in a lot of advanced analytics and also run some uh, AI applications, which I thought was very interesting. So uh, do you guys, Mark or Rich, have anything else to add to recap our previous discussion? No, and I, I, I think that's a great overview. I think today we have the opportunity to talk about IoT security, compare and contrast security between other types of networks, other types of uh, BMS network. And that's that's pretty much what my thought process is for today. Same here. Perfect. And I agree completely. So, and again, Mark pointed out in the last episode, there are some great benefits to IoT, but one downfall or concern, if you want to call it, is the security. So that's really what we're going to dive into today. Did a bunch of homework and I got a few points for discussion regarding IoT security concerns. So I'll let Mark take the ball in a second. But one thing that I found interesting with IoT is there's not a lot of regulation of the security on the devices and updates can cause a lot of issues, it seems like. It is one of the most common, like top 10 issues whenever you're referring to IoT security. You do a a Google search on IoT security and, and that is always in their top 10, maybe even top five concerns. So there's not like a standard per se for security or regulation of the security with IoT devices? It seems like maybe any manufacturer can make something IoT capable and they they don't hold everything to the same standard. I think the bigger problem is is they, you know, they may have some security standard when they release that device, but they lag tremendously in doing any updates to, you know, increase the security as things are discovered. Situation seems to be that they're focusing immediately on the next piece of hardware and not focusing on maintaining updates, particularly security updates to hardware that's been released. That's, you know, they develop a piece of hardware, they sell it, they're quickly moving on to the next generation. They don't want to invest a lot of time in hardware that they've sold that they're basically obsoleting with the next generation. So they don't give a lot of attention to security updates or, in reality, any software updates to those devices. And following up on something that we said in the last podcast that was even more stunning to me, 
the world population right now is right around 8 billion people. Right now, they believe there are 30 billion IoT devices out there, and there will be over 60 billion by the end of 2025. So those metrics that we talked about on the last, last podcast have been exponentially eclipsed. And that's true. And I think looking at the IoT world, there is some attention paid to internal security, that is of devices themselves, but the predominant security applications run at the internet portal. So how do I get out of the building? How do I get into the building through the portal? And those securities are in general pretty good. But at the same time, when a breach is it does occur, it can be huge. The Equifax breach, 143 million consumers, that was through the Apache server. Many, many, many of the uh, hospital leaks have been through the portal, not through uh, exploitation of a IoT device within the facility. So it's interesting that there is attention being paid to the securities of the specific devices, but at the same time, the portal is often the device that is exploited versus a simple IoT device. So for the listeners, when you say portal, do you mean like the like firewall, gateway? Firewall, gateway, server. Yeah, okay. So uh, if you have a server that's providing MMI or data information to the cloud, that's our entry point. And where, where we go from there is dependent upon what the security appliance can clamp or not clamp, identify or not identify. And there have been some uh, significant ones. So you maybe would say that's where, if you were doing an IoT anything, that's, that's definitely the point of contact that you would want to ensure is well secured. Well, with some caveats, the first caveat being that internal breaches, will, if you lock down the, the doorway, then the next greatest threat is internal breaches. Does someone want to exploit an IoT device to, from inside, be able to get to where they shouldn't be? Just like anything else, once one door is closed, then the the bad guys look for another door. Right. One of the most common and uh, I guess most commonly affected breaches with IoT devices is so many of the manufacturers of the devices ship the device with a default credential and password, which is targeted very quickly by malware so that they can basically log into the device with that default username and password infect the device and or utilize the device to tunnel up to or through a gateway because it's a registered device on that gateway. Yeah, and it seems like more often than not, your your default username and password for anything is admin or admin or whatever. I mean, they're pretty basic. So if you, if you know what you're doing, it can't be that hard to... Uh... I don't know how many times I've looked at default passwords in there. The username is admin and the password's 1234 or 12345. Right. Or username is admin in all caps and the password is admin in lowercase. So 
and this is just to help me and, and the listeners, if they don't know, understand, if I have an IoT, I don't know, a, a controller, right? And and the default username and password is admin and admin, and somebody is trying to, to breach the network, they can essentially find that device by its IP address or something on the on the network and log into that. And once they log into that, they're pretty much free and clear and in. That's correct. That's why it's important once that device has been set up to disable or remove those default passwords. That makes sense. And once you're in, you can even, you can access, I think you mentioned it, like IP cameras, which is crazy. I mean, a little bit of commentary going back to the beginnings of the internet. We were doing work for a very large uh, university system, did not have BACnet on site yet, but did have a BMS on site that was connected to the internet. And they were having difficulty with controllers shutting down, stopping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, go back to the early 90s. Well, Clayton, you were, you were probably not, not around yet, but at any rate, it was the beginning of music sharing. Napster. Yeah, what the university basically found is that the students on campus had found a mechanism to get into the BMS and were using the RAM of the controllers as a repository for music to be shared, uploaded, downloaded, etc. And basically uh, stuffing the thing full of music and not allowing it to do its, uh, do its computation calculation by virtue of sucking up all the all the uh, ram inside the controllers experience similar though much more devious an nt server box if you recall windows nt was one of the worst operating systems as far as having security holes going back maybe about 16 to 18 years ago an nt box that was acting as a gateway to serve information from one system up to BACnet was hijacked by uh, some Russians and a Russian porn site was set up on the server. And our customer kept wondering why the data was so slow through it. And we scheduled a service appointment and our tech went down and got on the server and found that it had been basically hijacked and turned into a uh, Russian porn server. NT was just notoriously bad for being able to be hacked and hijacked. Right. Extremely insecure. So <laughs> both of those instances, it seems like people were hacking and, and utilizing the internal network for uh, to serve up whatever they, they wanted to. But th the same could be once you get in, you can access, I can imagine, a lot of a secure, quote-unquote, data that a facility probably wouldn't want to have out, out there, right? I mean... Absolutely. It's, if it's all interconnected, I can imagine you can access almost anything once you get in through a basic IoT controller. Absolutely. Back in the early... 2005 to 2009, we were hired to do network security on a Fortune 100 company, which ran the 
BMS network as a VLAN on its corporate network that also managed all of its corporate transactions, billings, receivables, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the internal security checklist, basically threats were identified, released by Microsoft, released by Linux, and the, the network ran both devices on it. And the documentation, when it was printed out, was basically about 150 pages per month. And each one of those, each line item on that on the uh, checklist had to be identified as uh, was it patched, was it completed, was it tested, and that security testing basically took about a week and a half a month full time for an individual just to do the security testing on a monthly basis for that internal network. The, the very few facilities except for you know major corporations and certainly not typically our customers do that level of network testing at least at the local level uh, maybe you know some corporate levels but certainly not at the local level and those threats were identified monthly and updated so that all the patches could be applied and tested hmm so that's a, that's a lot of effort just to ensure security. Absolutely. It is. It's, it's really why you need to early on involve the IT department and get them thinking along the same lines and developing that plan on how you are going to construct and protect the system. Right. So you're not only you know, you're not only building or expanding a building management system network. This is a, a facility-wide, a building-wide um, endeavor where it requires multiple parties to ensure that it's secure. I mean, you, you can't just... Absolutely. The facility manager can't just expand on their BMS network and not involve IT or security because it requires, like we talked about in the last episode, a lot more bandwidth, if you want to call it that. and security well it, it, and if you if you draw the analogy that okay we need to keep our houses secure every time you put an ip device on the network an iot device you basically put another door in your house right like rich said if you leave the master key laying around or you don't rekey the lock then that's a vulnerability so it certainly needs to be the engagement of it early on as rich identified is absolutely mandatory, especially with an IoT system. There needs to be a stakeholder, responsible entity that understands the need for security and mandates it so that, that sure, for all its simplicity and all of its adaptability and flexibility, IoT is great, but at the same time, it can be as permeable as a sieve without the simple security steps required to keep the doors locked. Right. So uh, when I was doing my, my research as well, something came up that I found pretty interesting. And hopefully you guys can expand on it because I don't know a whole lot regarding this, but it seems like a lot of IoT devices, I have it noted as untrustworthy communication from IoT devices. And maybe that means the communication isn't encrypted well, so it's easy to see what's going on or these IoT devices. I don't know. It just seems like the communication from the device 
to the network is a pretty big point of concern. Well, I think what that centers on, Clayton, is that those IoT devices are typically sending data and messages up through the network without any encryption. Yeah, yep. And it's a big security challenge if there are all these encrypted messages going you know, up through the network to the server and then out to the cloud. Transport encryption standards uh, like TLS combat that, but not every IoT device out there supports the uh, transport encryption standards as yet. There aren't many but things but guidelines suggested about security on IoT devices. There's not a set of rules. Uh, you know, if we look at Wi-Fi, the federal government has a set of rules for Wi-Fi security, the uh, the FIPS 140-2 standard, which is a set of rules of how you're encrypting and protecting that data. The IoT devices are, they're not forced into following any set of standards or rules yet. So it's a little bit of the Wild West out there right now with IoT devices. So that, I, that believe that's where your untrustworthy communication point comes from is that uh, many of these devices are not doing any encryption or any security on the data that they're sending up to the network, either with the expectation that the network is somehow going to protect that, or they just don't care. Rich, you're exactly right. And I think there is a requirement that users of IoT need to be educated. They need to edu educate themselves about the risks. and. I think a lot of what you see at the residential level is folks buy a, you pick the device, a refrigerator, a baby monitor, smart TV, smart TVs, any of those. And without changing the password, without doing minimal security, once you do that, you basically open the door and walked away and, and let your electronic information. Uh, I mean, I'm guilty. Also, leaving my laptop on overnight connected to the network, we run some pretty good security, but at the same time, that's just not a good practice at a residence level. I don't have any other IoT devices in the house except a smart TV and PCs, et cetera, but I know many, many folks who have a significant number of IoT devices and don't practice safe network they don't have any safe network practices in place. One of the top 10 security concerns with IoT devices are the potential for driving a home invasion. And it's one of the scariest things. So many IoT devices now being used in large numbers in homes and in offices. Uh, there's such a rise in home automation from the standpoint of a device that you talk to to tell it what you need in groceries, to the TV that you talk to to tell it what you want to watch and when. And a lot of those devices can expose your IP address, which will allow hackers to pinpoint your actual physical residential address. And that information they can sell to hackers on underground websites, which uh, they then sell the information to criminals who 
you breaking into your system, figure out what you've got in your house when you're not there and make you a target for a home invasion. A lot of people don't even think about that. No, I mean, people practice mostly safe uh, practice or, or many people practice safe practices. Oh, I won't put on Facebook that I'm going on vacation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't mean you don't have something else eavesdropping uh, inside your home networks. And, you know, e even back in the uh, 90s, the propagation of exploitation of network weaknesses and security weaknesses, it's almost always been financial, very rarely just boredom. So when uh, youngsters were sharing music at a time when that was definitely frowned upon, there were no free forums to be able to share music, and there really aren't now, except that it's easy to download and really inexpensive compared to what it used to be. You go from that level all the way up to high-level hackers that are stealing millions of individuals' financial information, personal information to perform identity theft. But I was, I was just on the phone. This was at a Fortune 100 financial entity with a good friend, financial advisor, on Monday. And he said, he got on the call and said, I'm sorry, I'm a little late. Uh, I was just talking with the state police. I said, what happened? He said, well, believe it or not, my network was hacked and someone used my social security number, address, and telephone number to file unemployment information. The current incentives to expedite unemployment compensation transfers and to provide unemployment compensation to a large number of people has just basically led to an influx and a rise in the amount of uninsurance compensation fraud through identity theft. And this guy I know runs pretty secure uh, networks, both at home and at his office. Yeah. And it seems like, well, especially for, you know, talking about facilities and places of work, the individual can only do so much. They're relying completely on the, the, facility the business to maintain security and if they have a a lot of iot devices and poor network management or poor network security they can expose a lot of confidential information for a lot of people and it's interesting you know iot has opened a new door a new generation of bms but that said I've been in a number of facilities and, and worked with a number of facilities where the BMS network is configured by configured, operated, managed, not even by IT. Sometimes it's put in as a complete separate network that all it does is share the internet connection, but at the same time, those IoT devices will still let you uh, if, if they're unsecured, let you get to the server, let you find IP addresses, et cetera. And when you see that, that's a definite red flag where, yeah, we keep our facilities group a little bit segregated. They, they do their own thing. It's just another door that's open to the outside. Right. So I got a question then, and this is, it's going to be a tough one to answer, I guess. 
yes and no. I, I know what the answer is going to be already. But so is, is IoT more or less secure than other BMS systems? Obviously, I think it can be very secure, but it requires a lot of pre-planning and bringing in the right stakeholders. But in general, I assume it, there's a lot of, like we've talked about, open doors. Com- compare it to other more traditional BMS networks, though. Well, compared to traditional BMS networks, which are typically all hardwired and until just the, you know, the past five years have been hardwired on proprietary networks, those systems are inherently more secure than IoT because there really isn't a common path for hackers to try and get in. I mean, we saw some years ago, I think it was at a Target or another large chain store where data was hacked through um, a Niagara Jace that someone had left, you know, open when they configured it through the BMS. That BMS must have been connected into the building's enterprise system and they used that path to get to data that you normally would never have anything to do with BMS. Right. So yeah, in the past, under the the type of structures that BMS were built, they were infinitely more secure than the more open structure of IoT or even uh, IP if IP is not you know properly constructed with security in mind. Can you make IoT and, and IP based systems secure as the BMS has been in the past? Yes. But like we said, it takes involvement of a lot of different stakeholders. It takes a plan. It takes some adherence to standards and selection of IoT devices based on their security capabilities. I think also historically, uh, segregation of BMS from other networks gave a, a maybe a false sense of security to the the operators slash owners. Backnet has not historically been a very secure network by itself with the advent of Backnet SC and, um, you know, the use of SSL security that that has definitely improved. And for my money, I would trust it. It all goes back to what Rich said. Without proper configuration, programming, application understanding, and monitoring, everything comes wide open. And unless you work to close the doors, it will remain wide open. To boil it down to as simple terms as possible, to me, your traditional BMS network has just a lot less doors to enter, right? In general, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So... And this is another tough question. It seems like obviously with IoT, and we've discussed it in the previous episode in this episode as well, there's a lot of reduced installation costs associated with IoT when it comes to just the the cabling requirements and what have you, but obviously increased network costs. So do they kind of wash each other out saying, if I want to go with IoT, it's a lot cheaper install, but I'm going to need a a lot more security and really focus more on my network as compared to just 
going your traditional wired DDC BMS network. Probably very facility dependent. I get that as well. But I don't really don't really see it as a wash. There is so much additional capabilities, desired functions that IoT brings that you, you can't really quantify numerical value to, whereas you can quantify a numerical value on reduced wiring. You can quantify a numerical value on IT time and network design time goes in. I still think that from a financial benefit, IoT is desirable. It's requiring, as we've stated numerous times, a much deeper thought process and involvement with many more stakeholders than a traditional standalone type BMS system, which has one connection, you know, either to the internet or to the customer's internet to allow the uh, data access and um, user interface. But with the whole world going towards these smarter facilities, smarter offices, more artificial intelligence, more user experience, you know, you get outside of the industrial market and you look at educational, institutional, commercial, hospital, Everybody is trying to attract and keep the people, whether they be employees, whether they be students, whether they're doctors, nurses, patients. Everybody wants to provide the highest level of experience, satisfactory experience, to retain those people. And classic BMS doesn't really give that capability without bringing in the advantage that the IoT devices give us. So I don't think that it's something that's going to go away. I think it's going to grow and permeate to depths that we haven't even conceived of yet. And we're all going to have to learn how to deal with it, deal with the security, deal with the, the structure of how we build it, how we select the devices. It's not a choice. It's reality. I agree 100%. And so as the IoT has basically taken root, the regulatory agencies have been slow to respond, but as they ramp up their response, develop standards for security, develop standards for communication, for deployment, etc., the cost of IoT just by virtue of manufacturing and expertise and number of entrants in the market will continue to go down. And this, this goes back to open systems as more and more folks can compete in an open platform. Quality has to go up, price has to go down. And the only driver of market acceptance is customer satisfaction. So by virtue of engagement by regulatory agencies and standards agencies, UL, et cetera, IoT is here to stay and growing at an at a enormous rate. Yeah, I think I agree completely. And those are, virtuals are great points and same with you, Mark. So before we wrap this episode up, I want to ask one more question for Mark and Rich. 
where do you guys stand today with IoT compared to your traditional BMS? Do you do you prefer it over that, or would you rather still know, knowing that technological advances are coming and it's it's here to stay today? Where do you lean on the scales? Well, I'll start on that and say that in an effort to provide my customer with the best possible scenario that will make their building future-proof or their building state-of-the-art for a much longer period of time, I lean towards trying to bring in sensibly, consciously, and securely as much IoT as I can because I know that that's where the market is going. And I, I want to be able to tell my customer, we've set up your structure. We're already implementing IoT devices. We're giving you flexibility as more IoT comes into play. Obviously, it requires a lot more thought and work on our end with our internal technology people as well as the IT people at the customer's end and following what security standards are available and choosing the right structure and devices to do that. But I definitely am leaning more towards the IoT than the standard typical BMS way because I know that's where the future's going and I want to be providing my client with something that's going to make him future ready, keep him satisfied that he's not having to come back after spending a million dollars to put a system in and new technology becomes available and he has to come back and say, give me this. And I got to say, well, you got to change your whole infrastructure. It's going to cost you this. That's not the way we serve our customers. Well, I'll be a little bit of a contrarian on this. Not that I disagree with you, Rich, but we don't provide solutions in the context of having hardware to sell or anything like that. But I think there are definitely applications where I would equate it to, you know, if you have a high performance car, there's a key for the driver and then the valet key. And there are owners, there are facilities that we've been to that I would just as soon in the interest of safety, they not have an IoT application, specifically where they have HVAC systems segregated. For instance, we've done many, many industrial facilities where all they want is a stable environment, period. Just make sure that it's 24-7, 365, stable environment, plus or minus a degree, plus or minus 5% RH, et cetera. And that's their entire objective for that facility. In that case, I would say I'm much happier putting in a standalone BMS, does trending, does alarms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, without the vulnerabilities of IoT and potential future vulnerabilities that might be incurred by the maintenance staff or non monitored IT folks. That said, where we engage with facilities that have IT involved, where they have a high level of understanding of security requirements, IoT is definitely the the preferred choice. I don't take that as disagreement at all, Mark. 
Uh, I agree a hundred percent. There are facilities and you named one industrial. Another one that I'm going to name is the critical 24 seven types of operations that are financially based data centers, those types of situations, even getting into healthcare. Uh, while healthcare is looking to really improve the patient experience, they have some serious issues to basically monitor and be sure of that they don't expose data that would breach the HIPAA laws. So in those types of applications, minimizing or eliminating IoT maintains the proper security. Getting into systems like that where there is sensitive data on the other side, but some desire to have some IoT a completely separate building automation network that can utilize IoT but is totally separate from those other more secure networks is the way you have to go in those instances. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I you guys covered it, I think, very well. Every aspect of it that I think I and the listeners wanted or would want to know about. And with that being said, I think we'll wrap this episode up. There was a lot of great discussion here. Just some key points. We all know IoT has a lot of benefits, but if you are looking into IoT or if you do have IoT, just be sure your security is up to date. Everybody that needs to be engaged is engaged. IoT opens up a lot of doors that traditionally aren't there. So as long as you're proactive, it seems like you can have a very successful IoT system network that is hard to get into. So, And just to reiterate in closing here, how infectious is probably not the right word, but it, it is infectious, the growth of IoT. When we talked on the last episode about there being approximately 1.84 IoT devices per person on the planet, and knowing obviously that there are a, a large population of the planet that has none of those, so certain segments of the planet have multiple. We talked about 1.84 that was in 2010. Right now, the latest is 3.75. IoT devices per person on the planet. So if we look at the areas of the planet that have none or very little, you look at the modern Western civilization, European civilization, even the expanding markets in the Asian civilization, it's quite likely that those areas that we all are used to in business and whatnot People have more than 10 or more IoT devices. That's crazy. And I, you know, I completely agree and I believe it though. Like I said, I, I don't necessarily have, you know, the fancy refrigerator, but I have smart TVs, smartphones, a lot of just different stuff. I was looking at buying a ring doorbell and all that stuff. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. I've got several smart cameras in my house. Yeah. I think three smart TVs. Yep. I have two two or three Amazon Echoes. 
even the, uh, the combination of the Amazon Echo and what they call their Fire TV. Yep. So in my house alone, I've probably, where three people live and one of them's 91 years old, I've probably got 15 IoT devices. And I, I see why people get them and why everybody wants them is they, they make life, they can make life a lot easier. There's a lot of benefits to them. And we think, you know, when you, when you put IP cameras in your house for security, you think, okay, I'm making my house safer. But when you read about the vulnerabilities and how that data can be used when someone hacks it and then sold to a criminal enterprise that's going to target your house, knowing that the cam- they've hacked the cameras, they know what's in your house, they know you're not home, they know how to avoid the cameras. It's all of a sudden, yeah, do I really want those cameras? Like anything, I suppose, it's all risk versus reward. What, what are the benefits and what are the, uh, the risks? And I do expect, as Mark mentioned too, that we're going to see some regulatory standards towards IoT come about pretty quickly because the mass growth of it and the potential, not only financial, but even potential lethal aspects for people's lives of insecure devices there's going to be some strict standards come about, I think, fairly quickly. Oh, yeah, Rich, I agree completely. And I think that's going to help a lot of designers and owners really lean towards IoT instead of your traditional BMS system. But thanks a lot, guys, for tuning in. We'll wrap up the podcast there. Stay tuned for our next episode, which will be specifying high-performance open systems. Have a great day.